The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Latter-day Lives podcast. My name is Sean Rapier. I am your host, and we have got a fantastic show for you again this week. Uh, Before we get into our guest for this week, uh, a couple of housekeeping notes. Thank you so much for all of you who have sent messages on email or Facebook. Uh, Again, we want to do some kind of question and answer. If you've got questions about the show uh, for our one-year anniversary, that's going to be one of the sections. If you want to know about a specific guest or how we get guests or how we record or why we started or whatever questions you may have about the show, please just send them over to me. Uh, We can be reached on Facebook. You can send me a direct email. It's uh, Sean, S-H-A-W-N, at LatterdayLives.com. Any questions at all about the show or about me or any of our guests, we'd love to get those uh, from you. And please let me know if I can read your name on air. I would certainly appreciate it. Okay, on to this week's show. My guest this week is a multi-talented performer. And honestly, you know, there are those commercials, they're beer commercials, but for the most interesting man in the world. Uh, This is the most interesting Mormon man in the world. I'm telling you, Sean Perry is someone who reached out to me and just connected with me on Facebook. And he was in Utah for uh, uh, some trainings he was doing, and we were able to meet up. And I just love Sean. And to meet him is to love him. You're about to love him, too. He is one of the best people and most fascinating guys that I've ever met. Uh, The only downside to this is that we got started a little bit late, and it was so nice of him to make time for me. But he had so many other things going on and people waiting for him that we had to cut it a little bit shorter. Truthfully, I could have spoken to him for (laughs) another hour and a half. He has such a great life, and he is so inspirational. I just left that uh, conversation just so uplifted. And uh, this week in my Latter-day life, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my thoughts on being one. So that's all coming up. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. My guest today on the Latter-day Lives podcast is one of the most fascinating guys you'll ever hear. His name is Sean Perry. Sean, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Sean. Yes, that's a, <laughs> a whole lot of Sean's going on today. So, Sean, I'm so glad you're here. Can't wait to hear about your life. Mm. Tell us a little bit about where you're from and a little bit of your background. Okay. Yeah, I was raised in Mesa, Arizona, and there were 10 kids. I'm the second of 10. That's a big family. Uh, yeah, five and five. Five boys and five girls. Where and do you fall in that? I'm second. Wow. Yeah, so, cool. So, yeah, and we, we absolutely love each other. We're a very tight-knit family. I'm actually headed to a family reunion in two weeks uh, cool. down in southern Utah. So excited to see them all. That's fun. Really cool. So you grew up in Mesa. Mm-hmm. Ten kids. Are, now, are your family members of the church? Yes. Most of them are active. Yeah. Um, some have gone but you in grew and up out. In, but you I did grow up in the church. I grew up in the church, baptized yeah. at eight, yeah. served a mission. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. Mesa is like little Utah. I mean, there are so many members of the church in Mesa. Interestingly enough, the, my high school, 27%. 
27 percent. So it wasn't as much as people think. That's that's still a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. We of still nominees. did release time seminary across yes. the street. <laughs> yes, that's a lot. Which I don't. I mean, outside of Idaho and parts of Arizona, there's not a lot of release yeah. time seminary. It's no. usually. I grew up in California all early morning. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Very very cool. So when you grew up, uh, in your, well, tell us a little bit about. You went on a mission. Where'd you go? Yeah, I served in Japan. Yeah, wow. So, How was that? So that was amazing. I was on a little tiny island for most of my mission where I was the only American, only English speaker on the island. Incredible. And that, that actually kind of was some of the seeds planted that kind of opened the door for me to be a citizen of the world yeah. in my life now. Now, I've seen that. I saw that on your on your Facebook profile. You like that phrase, citizen of the world. Yeah. I love that. Tell me why you like that phrase. Well, I had to make a choice, actually, at one point and say, am I going to really just, you know, just settle down and, and, and focus on being right here? or Because or, I traveled quite a bit for performing yeah. with, with my career. Um, I do Broadway shows and uh, singing, dancing, acting. Yeah. Um, and then uh, we'll talk more later about the nonprofit organization yep. that I that I've started. That again started me traveling even more on top of the performing, and I just had to make that choice. Am I going to cut out the other stuff, or will I live in all of these places and make my home in India and Africa and the South world, America yeah. and China? And yeah. Now, had you traveled internationally? Because international is a big part of what you do. Right. It, did, had you traveled internationally prior to your mission? When I was 16 years, 15 actually, because um, I did do a European tour with a national choir. Oh, wow. And five countries in Europe for a month um, and uh, world, um, America's Youth in Concert. And that was an amazing experience. And my 16th birthday was 33 hours long. Oh, my gosh. Coming back from Italy. It's <laughs> <laughs> a long trip. Uh, yeah. So did you know, so you're a singer, you're a dancer, you're an actor, and an activist in the world of making the world a better place. Mm. Let's focus on the performing arts for a little while, because you probably weren't seven saying, I'm going to have a nonprofit. But as a young kid, when did you realize you were talented in singing and dancing and acting? Actually, I wasn't seven saying I'm going to be on Broadway either. Yeah. <laughs> I was, yeah. I actually... A lot of people don't know this, but I didn't know Broadway existed until I was in my 20s. What? I wow. didn't. Well, I thought it was old, like, vaudeville. Oh, yeah. Okay. I thought it was done. All it canes was, and top hats. It and... was all back, you know, Oklahoma and Camelot and Sound of Music. And, oh, yeah. I missed a really good age when Broadway was alive. Oh, well. And so that was, a yeah, that was, it was a, an amazing epiphany when I heard the music from um, Phantom of the Opera mm. at uh, it, there's a studio I was picking up my my cousin from a, a dance thing she was doing and and I had no connection to the dance world whatsoever at that time I was going to become a doctor my, my main focus I wow. loved 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 um, physics chemistry mm. uh, calculus you know that amazing was, yeah loved it and so zero connection to the arts except I sing really loud in primary <laughs> <laughs> so that was, uh, that was about it I, I love the I primary kicked it. off the whole thing awesome. <laughs> and I enjoyed performing you know I was in the little show choir in high school and stuff but that wasn't but even in high school you weren't like that kid, you weren't the arts guy in high school. Mm -mm. You weren't most likely to be in a movie like, you know, 
No. You weren't the theater I was accent on guy. academics guy. You were the academics guy. Yeah. And I did do some. I was the debate team captain. Yeah. And, and, I, and I was in a musical. And I did the show choir. And I enjoyed singing. And I was good at it. So I got into you know, all the regional choir and all state choirs. But you didn't see yourself as, hey, this is someday going to be a career. Zippo. Not at all. Z- zero. That is so amazing. So you go on a mission. You come back. Did you come back to Arizona? Yeah. 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 Came back and uh, and actually um, ended up my my, my parents divorced. Mm. Um, why? Well, separated while I was on my mission, and yeah. that was that was um, that was a huge turning point in my life. I have to say that was really difficult. At the time, I didn't think so. I was just like, things happen. You deal with it. You rely on God, and you move forward. Right. But looking back, that was a, a big, uh, big thing. Um, I came home and took care of my family for a little while because my dad had moved out and my mom got deathly ill. Oh my gosh. Uh, she came to pick me up in Japan and she picked, she caught uh, hepatitis D in Japan. While oh she picked my. Me up. So she got extremely ill and was bedridden, um, a critical condition for a while. We took care of her and took care of the rest of the kids right off my mission for the next six months, four, four to six months um, until it was time to go to college. Now, tell me about the rest of the story with your mom. She slowly got stronger and stronger and she's dealt with it off and on because it does relapse sometimes, yeah. but she's, she's an amazing woman. Like, yeah. I mean, raising the 10 kids on her own after the divorce and be, you know, she's just a rock in the gospel and one of the most compassionate people you'll ever meet. So you, I mean, you really came home. I mean, my parents moved while I was on my mission. I thought that was a big deal. You came home to a whole new family. I mean, a whole new dynamic. Everything, Dyn- yeah. everything that you had counted on before you left yeah. had shifted. Well, yeah. When I got the news that on my mission, my mission president actually held off and didn't tell me until the last week because he didn't want to mess things up for the mission. And so I, he waited until the last week to let me know. Was that positive um, or do you wish he would have let you know earlier? He was so smart. He was so inspired. Spot on. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Because it hit me so hard. Oh my gosh. I, yes. would, I would very possibly would have gone home to try to help save it or to do whatever, you know, I mean, that's, of course, you're like, yeah. oh, you know, and it's like, this happens in the movies. This happens in, you know, books you read. This doesn't happen in my life. Yeah. I have an eternal family. What are you talking about? And so I had to go through my flip charts and pull out the pictures of my family. So, oh, I, my. so I couldn't show those anymore and say, this is the way it's supposed to be a happy family for eternity. I couldn't do that anymore. Sean, that's amazing. I mean, that is such an amazing thing to go through. So you, you come home, you help your mom. Time for college. Where did that right. take you? Um, I went to BYU. And How was your BYU experience? I love BYU. It was exactly what I needed. It's not for everybody. No. By no means. But yeah. I needed that as a foundational element for my life. Sure. Cool. And uh, the, the cross between the spiritual and the physical, uh, you know, the, and the, the academic was yeah. just powerful and, and prepared awesome. me for what I was, what God knew I needed to do. Yeah. Um, what did you study at BYU? Pre-med zoology. Pre-med zoology. Yeah. Sean, this is so amazing. This is fascinating. No, I was... So did you get back into the arts? You had dabbled in it a little bit in high school. Yeah. Did you get into it in, in a more serious way when you were at BYU or no? Not at all. Not at all? Not at all. No, I mean, the first two years. 
Okay. So I was pre-med zoology, push, 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 and a zoology 339 professor. I don't even know his name, but he was so awesome. He changed my life. He pulled me to the side one day and he said, he said, Sean, um, I need, I need to tell you that if you stay in this major, you will end up researching the rest of your life and getting to know you. I don't think that's what you want. Hmm. So I would suggest you stay pre-med, but change your major Yeah, from zoology to something more humanitarian. Right. And then they'll see, oh, he wants to work with people. He's gotcha. a, he's yeah, more out there. And, a, you know, and so I, so I was like, oh, that's a good, thank you. Thank you. And I looked and looked and looked. I didn't want to be, yeah, nothing humanities, nothing hit me. And then I saw, oh, they're starting a new major. It's called music, dance, and theater. It's a triple major. The singing, dancing doctor. Oh my gosh, how cool would that be? <laughs> I was so excited. I, I was it. like, okay, I'm going to. Oh, that's gonna, great. I, so I went and I auditioned for it and got turned down. Really? He said, no, you've got raw talent, but it's. You're not ready. You have not. Yeah. And I, I hadn't taken a voice lesson in my life. I didn't know, you know, or dance. Or, wow. I didn't know. Yeah, it was just, just very raw. And they said, but you can take some of the classes if you want, but you can't be in the major. Mm. So I did. That next semester, I took one of each of the classes, singing, dancing, acting, and then uh, auditioned again. Yeah. Well, actually, I, before I auditioned, Chuck Whitman, the, the theater professor, yeah. he came to me and he said, he said, um, we as a faculty have, a, uh, have talked and in all of our teaching experience, none of us have seen someone progress as fast as we've seen you in these past months. You're just a natural. If he says, it, well, and I worked really hard. Yeah. Um, and he says, if you would like to audition again, we would accept you in the major. And I was like, oh, yeah. So I auditioned. <laughs> and I was music, dance, theater, pre-med. Have triple, you ever heard triple of that major. combination before? Ever, never. Never. Of course not. <laughs> of course not. So that takes you into this theater world. And did you did you feel like you found your calling once you jumped into the major? No, still no, not at all. No, I, it, I loved like, it. I keep feeling like we're going to have this moment where you say, "And that's when I knew," and that's yes, all. Yes, and the angels sing. Sean and, Perry. No, I was. I, I loved it. I thought it was great, but I all still thought it was a hobby. It was. I'm, yeah. I'm just developing my talents. I'm going to be a doctor. Um, did you end up finishing at BYU? I did finish at BYU, but after one year of being a quadruple major, I was like, I can't do do this. So I had to pick. I had to go, okay. And by that time, I was pretty entrenched in both. So I said, okay, God, which one? Of course, it's the doctor one. (laughs) I'm pretty pretty bad, but I do need to ask. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to do the doctor thing. And is this okay? I always seek spiritual guidance in my decisions. And I was like, is this okay? And I felt nothing. Uh, it's literally just blank. Stupor like, of thought. Yeah. Just like, nothing. okay. Well, and, I, and it wasn't really dark or anything. It was just blank. You just didn't get an answer. And so I thought, okay. And I was talking to my counselor and stuff. And then I was like, and as the next week went on, it got darker and harder. And as I tried to plan for the next, I was just like, just this cloud. And, just, and I was just like, stupor of thought oh no oh no yeah and then i seriously i like was like you've always heard about are you stupor serious of thought. are really really do i is this now <laughs> am i oh no and so i was like okay all right let me so i started to change my mind around a little bit change my heart took a couple of weeks i fasted 
I said, okay, if, I, if I'm going to do it, I've got, I'm going to do this 100%. I've got to be ready for it. And then after, after some fasting and prayer and stuff, I prayed again. And I received an answer stronger than anything I've received in my life. As strong as the answer I received on my mission that told me the Book of Mormon is true. It, is, it was that strong. Wow. I know that the path of my life is as true as the Book of Mormon is true. Wow. That's and incredible. It was just, yeah, I, I, I was surprised the room wasn't on fire. Yeah. Isn't that great? And, well, but, but my, you my response it. wasn't admirable. Okay. When I said, okay, you know me, you know I'll give 100, 110%. You, you, so I need a real answer. Should I go in? And, and, and I didn't even have to finish. And I looked up and I was like, oh, crap. Really? <laughs> really? You thought the doctor thing was coming. Of course no, it was. I'm, I'm, That's the responsible this thing. This is the stupidest thing. Why would... Why would anyone go and audition for a living and not know when their next job is? And, but I was like, <laughs> I promised, and I will give it. I will not look back, and I didn't. I went straight Unbelievable. forward. Dropped everything else and uh, all my. So what did the so the degree classes. ended up being in music, dance, and theater? Music, dance, and theater. Yeah, the triple threat, as they call it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. unbelievable. So you graduate. Yeah, where does that take you? Oh, there's a little bit of weaving because I ended up going down and being in the original cast of, oh, first, I went into the CES program and became a seminary teacher. No kidding. Full-time seminary teacher. Um, did that the first year and I had already auditioned and was cast in the original cast of Utah the Musical at Tuacon. Oh my gosh. In 1995. How was the experience on Tuacon? I Loved it. So for we have listeners around the world. Tuacon is down in St. George. They have a high school there, but then they also have this incredible theater. 80 Built foot into the rocks. Yeah. The downside, it's sometimes 120 degrees on the stage. <laughs> yep. And, and you're in full pioneer gear for Utah the Musical. <laughs> yes. Uh, it, was, it was an amazing experience to be in the original, original cast, especially. Yes, the first cast. It's incredible. That. So I want to jump back to seminary really fast because sure. I have a great passion for, you know, I get to do a lot of youth conferences mm. and I always feel a responsibility to make teaching and especially teaching the gospel cool, <laughs> to make it funny and fun and entertaining. Did you take your natural acting skills and whatnot and apply it to your teaching? 100%. And we had so much fun in that class. Oh, that's and it was, great. Oh, they would, they would never know what to expect. They'd walk in and the desks were all upside down one day. And I was like, I was like, go ahead, sit in them. Go ahead. Try it. And then we talked about looking at things from a different perspective and figuring oh, it out. Wow. And they had to sit in their desks upside down the whole class and yeah. figure it out. Or, you know, you must I have mean, been the dream was, seminary teacher. It was, it was so, so fun. fun. And, you know, we, yeah, we, we did all sorts of different Amazing. things. I brought in a sandbox one day and we dug in the sand while we talked about Hezekiah's tunnel. And, and it was <laughs> fun stuff that just, Sean, just memorable. It. So, yeah, yeah. So you end up doing some theater down in, I mean, geez, Utah, the musical, the mm -hmm. original cast. Awesome. Where'd you go from there? Well, I thought I was going to be a seminary teacher the rest of my life. And, uh, and then I got the information, got the note that said, um, we're, n we're not going to let you go on in the CES program. Go do something else. Hmm. 
I was like, why? And they said, we reserve the right not to tell you. Really? So there I was devastated again, like, okay, wait. I thought I was going to be a doctor, then you just switch this. Now I thought 100%, I gave up everything and said, okay, sacrificial lamb, I'm going to do, I'm going to be a seminary teacher. Yeah. I, I'll give up everything else in my life and I will devote my life. No, you're not going to do that either. <laughs> what do you want from me? Wow. And so. Talk about a trial. Transitioned through that. And at that, at that time, I had gone and auditioned in uh, Vegas, not far from Tuacon, yeah, sure. for some cruise ships just because. That was a bunch of people had gone, and I thought, oh, fun. I'll go to the auditions and see what it's like. Well, I got cast in one of those shows in a mm. cruise ship, a Norwegian cruise line. Awesome. And so I said, okay, this is it. You know, prayed about it and went on the cruise ship, met some people from New York. I'd never been to New York, never even imagined living in New York. Yeah. And they said, you're really talented. You should go to New York. You'd do well there. And you're still thinking old Broadway. I, I'm not going to do the, the soft shoe. I'm like, well, I mean, I knew. I, I had trained in <laughs> no, it by kinda, that point, I'm, right? I'm kidding at this point. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I'm like uh-huh. by that time I was there, but, but, uh, but I never dreamed of going to New York. Yeah. That wasn't even, and I was like, well, maybe I'll give it a try. Incredible. And so I had saved up some money from the cruise ship. I said, this will last me about two months. So, yeah. A friend of mine from the cruise line called, said, hey, I'll let you take my apartment here. Um, in Queens, uh, I'm, I'm headed off to Europe for, for a couple months if you want to come. And, uh, and so I went and I took his apartment and didn't get anything and I was ready to come back home. Did you, how do you even start? Did you go to open calls? Did you get an agent? I what? didn't know anybody. I knew zero people in New York City. What a leap of faith. And I walked in and, and so I ran because back then there were no unlimited metro cards mm-hmm. for the subway. Yeah. And so I ran from audition to audition, did at least three auditions a day. There's a newspaper thing that you get backstage yeah. that you can see where the auditions are. Just and cattle I, calls. I just auditioned to every single thing I could because I, I, I could do the straight acting ones. I could do the dance calls. I could do the, the singing calls. Sure. I just went to everything I could. And like... Within those first few weeks, I auditioned for the first year plus of my my career. I ended up getting callbacks and um, yeah, got. What was the first thing you landed in New York? <laughs> first thing I got offered was the um, crazy for you. Okay. And it was in Ohio. It's a lot of regional theaters audition right. there and take you out. Yeah. So they auditioned. And I had done Crazy for You on a cruise ship. Oh, fun. So I knew the original Broadway choreography. Yeah. And so they were like, yes, we want you. Classic show. And yeah, exactly. You know, tap dancing, all really great. Um, I don't do any tap dancing anymore. Um, that was the, uh, the old Sean yes. performer. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, great tap dancing show. They said, yes, we want you. But they wanted to hire me non-equity. Mm. So not part of the union, union. which was like $200 a week. Oh, my. And I had been advised early when I was at BYU, Candy Marchese, who came in to, she was doing Les Mis. She came in to do a master class for us. And when I was talking to her in the hall one one time, she said, you, I, I normally don't say this to people, but you, when you get offered your first show in New York, turn it down. Get used to the ball being thrown to you. Because there's going to be another ball come. And, and if it's a home run, 
hit it. That's fine. Yeah. But otherwise, turn it down. Don't jump at the first thing. Don't jump at the first thing it comes Don't to jump you. at crazy for you in Ohio. Well, I mean, I was so excited. I was like, oh my gosh, I got, I got a gig. I, I auditioned and I, I, I'm successful in New York. I got offered a job. Yeah. And then her voice came in the back of my head. Don't. And I was like on the phone. And I was like, um, how do you turn something down? I auditioned. Your so first I was like, job. I was like, well, that's not enough money. I, I can't do it for that much money. I thought it was done. Then they said, then they're like, well, how much would you need for us to bring you on? You're totally unprepared I, for this. I, I have to negotiate my own contract. What? They called your bluff. So then I was like, okay, I've just got to like triple it. Um, or actually, I said, you know, I was like, I would need at least 500. You know, it's like, there's no way they're going to go 200 or 500, right? It was actually 160. Yeah. So I was like, I'm, I'm just going to triple it and they're, they're going to totally say no. So I was like, yeah, I need at least 500. And they were like, okay, well, that's too much. We can't do that. Thank yeah. you. I hung up and went, should I call him back? Oh my gosh, what did I just do? <laughs> In the meantime, so they, I turned it down. In the meantime, then, and, and this is a longer story, but I'll just shorten, sure, sure. shorten it up. I ended up going to an audition for New York Theater Ballet, a ballet company. Yeah. Right. And literally I went into that audition. The only reason in my mind was, I want to write in my journal, I auditioned for a New York ballet company. I knew I wasn't going to get it, 100%, but I was like, I'm just going to go for the fun in, of it. In, in your dance degree and in your training, how much, um, how much ballet training had you actually like had? Five semesters. That's it? Uh, yeah. By the way, do you want to tell our audience where we're sitting right now doing this interview? <laughs> we're at the uh, Ballet West Extension Studio at Thanksgiving Point. <laughs> we're actually in a ballet studio. Yes, we are. <laughs> in the break room of a ballet studio. So obviously ballet, spoiler alert, ballet works out pretty well for you. But, right. But, um, so you auditioned for the, the ballet New York company. Theater Ballet. And uh, and as I thought, they pulled me aside and said, uh, you're not quite right. You have too much modern and other st- jazz and different styles in your body. And you're not s- classical enough for us. I was like, oh, shucks, I knew. <laughs> and yeah, then, she said, sure. then she said, but we'd like to give you a scholarship. Would you like to come Are and you take kidding? classes here? What? I was like, oh, well, yeah, okay. So I, I got to clean up a little around the studio and get free classes. Unbelievable. So I was like, yes. And so I came in, and after about two weeks, she came to me. I was in the intermediate classes there. She came to me because the advanced class was this, the company. The company itself, yeah. So she came to me and she says, what are you doing this afternoon? Can you come to company class? I was like, um, let me cancel what I, ha-. yeah. And so I showed up at company class and ended up stepping in for this spot that they hadn't filled yet. And the choreographer that had come over from Spain was like, was like, yeah, do this and do that. And, and so I, the whole afternoon I worked with him. And at the end of the day, he turned to Diana Beyer, who ran the company. And he said, I want him in my ballet. You are kidding me. Sean, that is amazing. And so suddenly you're a ballet dancer. And I signed for a year contract and with you are a, a paid professional, professional ballet company, New ballet York City. Dancer. And a month later, I get a phone call from Ohio, crazy for you, saying, we would like you to come and we can pay you the amount you said, <laughs> but we will give, but we need to make you equity. And have you join the union before, right at the beginning of the contract so we yeah. can pay you that amount as a union member? Are right. you willing to take your equity card and then we'll pay you that much through the contract? So suddenly you went from nothing to... Well, and I'd auditioned for time. I'm in a ballet stuff. company and I've got Ohio and, ready to pay. 
the number I made up. <laughs> right. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I love and that. so yeah, I'd, I'd auditioned for a ton of things, you know. So it wasn't like the only two things I'd auditioned for. I, no, but I, I mean, I'm just I saying. I pounded the paper a lot. Nothing. I just, you I just have to make sure that the people listening don't think right. it's, it's a magic golden right. road. Oh, yeah. To be clear, what I'm saying is, but, after all these auditions, yes. you went from nothing to within one week, two amazing offers. I had a, my full year accounted for. Well. And then I had to make a choice if I was going to do the get my equity card yeah. and quit the dance company, or just do the dance company, turn down the equity card, yeah. and the so other one. What'd you do? So I, I, I knew I wanted to go into musical theater yeah. eventually. So I said, "This is this is important. I need to do this." I spoke with Diana Beyer and said, "I'm going to do this, and I need to know what you think about that." She was quite upset that she had. You know, she had kind of done a lot for you. Exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. You and see, I, I and I was like, that. but this is my career choice. This is where I'm going. And so, so she said, "Here's the deal. You're there's two of the ballets that you're not in, in our repertoire. We will work those while you're gone. The ones that you're in, that if we work them, I will videotape." On VHS, it was back when. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was before we could stream it's anything. Not YouTube, yeah. Right? She says, "I will put them in VHS and send them to you in Ohio." And you will watch them and memorize the choreography and walk in the door after your contract as if you had been in rehearsal. Unbelievable. So that's what I did and did both contracts. That is amazing. So this cements you into New York, which is where mm -hmm. you currently live. You still live in New York. Mm -hmm. you, do you consider yourself kind of a New Yorker now? How long have you been in New York? 20 years. 20 years. Yeah, You're a New it's, Yorker. Yeah. It's in your blood. Yeah. I love New York. I love New York. For four days. Four days is my threshold. Of, <laughs> Most um, people are. My mom's is like one day. <laughs> L.A. is about the same for me. And I mean, and I grew up in California, but I, but New York is a very special place mm -hmm. for me for a week. And, but for you, it's your life. So you've gone on and you've done a ton of things. What else have you done during your career than in Broadway? And then I want to get into your nonprofit. Right. Yeah. New York's been so good to me. I mean, it, it is, it is a hustle. It is a crazy difficult place to live. You know, yeah. I, I, and expensive as it, I'll get Very out. expensive. And you're, you hear your neighbors above you and below you and you, the smells and the people and the, yeah. it's, it's crazy. It's, What's been it's your hard. favorite job? What has been your favorite job in New York? Well, Different things for different reasons. Yeah. So, I mean, I've I've been so blessed to be able to. I did um, Phantom of the Opera was my uh, my Broadway debut. Unbelievable. And uh, that was full circle from the way I found out that Broadway exists yeah. is by listening to Phantom of the Opera and asking, "What is that?" And ten, ten years later, Broadway debut in that. What year did you do Phantom? Whew, I did Phantom of the Opera in. It's 2000. Okay, so I saw Phantom in, no, it was 99. It must have, no, it was 2000. I saw it in 2000. I may have seen you You very Phantom. possibly saw me in it. How funny. Yeah. It was fantastic. I, my first contract, my first production, like Broadway contract, was a Broadway national tour of Cats. Mm. And I did that for Great a show. year and closed the Broadway national tour awesome. in, in 99. Yeah. And so what I so, remember most, though, yeah. about... Phantom yeah. is my knees were killing me 
because those seats were <laughs> like six inches in front of each other on a large made 100 man. years ago. Yes, and that was a tiny, tiny seat for me. Yeah. So you've done all <laughs> these incredible shows. You're now teach. I mean, you're here to, to teach. Mm-hmm. Um, but then some, suddenly this nonprofit comes in that I'm so fascinated. What's the name of your nonprofit? Well, it's Promethean Spark International. Promethean mm-hmm. Spark. Tell us so we don't forget, what's the web address if people want to... It says www.prometheanspark.org. Prometheanspark.org. Now, Promethean is spelled E-A-N, just E-A-N. because everyone puts an I there and then yeah. they can't find okay. it. Yeah. So Promethean Spark, tell us what Promethean Spark is and what it does. Well, I mean, just just to kind of transition here. So I I ended up doing AIDA on broad, you know the international Broadway tour. I ended up doing working at. Um, uh, the Madison Square Garden's Christmas Carol doing at the Met Opera mm. with Placido Domingo, like lots of different venues, different, you know, tours and, um, international and national. And, and just, you know, just what's next on my resume? What's next? What's next? And, and it's exciting. And then I ended up getting in between shows. I would do a, I, I would often teach master classes to professional companies. Awesome. To studios, to, you know, in the U.S. or abroad, and I was asked to go down and teach some master classes in Peru. Mm. And I went down there and taught some master classes, and ended up. Uh, you know, long story short, but I ended up going out to the slums with the lady who brought me there and saw these kids in the slums, and she's yeah. like, "This is the real Peru." And mm. I ended up offering to teach them, and I taught them for a bit. And again, it's a long story. They couldn't learn it. They couldn't figure it out. They couldn't even do a basic kindergarten level class. And were these most? These were mostly children then. Youth. They were youth. Teenagers. Okay. Yeah, so they were teenagers. like fourteen to. And you're teaching 24. them dancing, singing, dance. everything. Just it was, dance. It was dance because okay. they were off the streets doing yeah, yeah dancing, and except I wasn't teaching them because they wouldn't learn. They wouldn't. They didn't know how oh to my. do a class, and I couldn't couldn't get them to even stand up in lines and follow me and do a basic class. And I was just like, "This is stupid. I'm out of here. I'm I'm done." Amazing. And I, I mean, for two days of four hours each, and I was just like pulling my hair out. And again, similar to, you know, I, I was praying to say, may I, if I leave, am I okay? Can I be at peace walking yeah. out on this? Because I'm cutting my losses. They don't want it. Right. And as I listened, meditated, and the only thing that was coming to me was the exact same things that are keeping them from doing your class will keep them from getting an education, from holding down jobs, from having good family lives, from succeeding in anything they want in life. Mm. The same things. And I was like, okay. And so can I go back to New York and be okay? <laughs> so that doesn't, you know, that doesn't answer my question. And, but then the same thing just kept flowing. And I was like, okay. You know, it was kind of like build an arc, but not telling me how. So I was like, okay. And I wrestled with it all night and realized I'm not here to teach them dance. I'm here to teach them those basic things, whatever those are. Yeah. At that time, I hadn't fleshed it out in my mind. Right. But now, years later, I realize, and I've done a ton of studying in the psychology of learning and the development of the prefrontal lobe and everything, and realize that it's discipline and focus and goal setting mm. and perseverance and all of these basics that we are taught from the time we're just toddlers. And yeah. Just those basics of stick to it. Come on. You, 
If you keep going, you can ride that bike. If you keep going, you can do that impossible thing. Whoever taught that? And they've that. missed that. They've they've missed that. And they don't have examples of it either. Yeah. So how do we expect them to go from streets, put them in in a school behind a desk with a teacher droning on about foreign concepts and say sit there for six hours a day for the next few years and <laughs> and and you'll graduate and you'll learn and you'll and you'll be good in society and and they're like. Who cares? What am I doing here? And they, of course, they they fail. And the statistics show it: twenty yeah. seventy five to ninety three percent of the the youth in in these developing countries either don't go to school or fa- or drop out. That is amazing. So you now you take Prometheus Spark and you mm-hmm. say, "This is one of God's callings for me." Yeah. I, I've got to go teach. So when you go, you you teach this through dance. So it's life coaching through the arts. Life yeah, coaching through, through the arts. Mm-hmm. This is, Sean. This is one of the most fascinating things I've ever heard. Like it is amazing, but it makes so much sense because also there are study after study that rhythm and dance and music connects parts of the brain. Yeah, that are dark. Exactly. And it lights it up. I mean, you can see this is science. This is less art we're, and much more science. We're, we're getting to the place where it's science. 10, 20 years ago, no, even, we weren't yeah. talking about neuroplasticity of the brain. Yeah. But now we know. And we've always known that the arts and, you know, music and dance and all this stuff connect the two hemispheres of the brain. We've known that for, you know, 30 years. But now we're understanding, and okay, the magic of the arts, this magical thing when you go into a theater and, or when you do it, and you're like, oh my gosh, that is so cool. And it, it just turns you, al- it makes you alive. And you're like, okay, how do you take that magic and turn it into more than entertainment? Yeah. And more than, and you say, wait, that, what, that thing that gets under your skin, we can use that to teach essential life skills to youth and adults around the world. And not to mention you're planting a seed that then they can go teach and they can make their own communities so much better. One of the mantras we use is heal the world, leaders for life. You are, your purpose as you learn these skills in the Promethean Spark class is to go out and make a difference in your community and in your life. Which which, uh, I'm sure is shocking to no one out there. These are all gospel principles. This is what you were raised with in Mesa, Arizona. This all comes full circle to you sitting in primary, learning these same skills. And what a blessed life you've had, Sean. I mean, what a fascinating and exciting and interesting to to hear your story and to hear that God has put his hand and just directed you along this path and the way you're blessing others. If if people want to get involved with Prometheus Spark, if they want to donate to, if they want to get involved, is best to go through the website. Yeah, Promethean Spark. So it's going to Promethean it, Spark. Yeah, it ends Not with an Prome- N. Yes. yes Sorry, correct. that was my bad. Promethean no, Spark. So Promethean Spark. Um, yeah, there's a contact page awesome. um, on the website, and uh, if and we'll know, share all this on our name, Facebook page, and and uh, by all means, uh, I think it's just awesome, Sean. This is. I mean, and we could. There's so much more that we could sit and talk about. <laughs> we're we're about at time, and I okay. know you've got other things going on. But this has been absolutely fascinating. If people want to follow you. Mm-hmm. What's the best way for people to kind of follow what you're doing? Well, my I've got my webpage, um, seanperry.com. It's S-H-A-U. Right. Different than yours. Yes. P-A-R-R-Y. Oh, you're so good. Yes. seanperry.com. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how people can follow you. And I just, this has been so fascinating. And again, 
what what a just beautiful story of watching the Lord kind of guide your life. We'll be excited to see what comes next. We're going to wrap up with the question that we ask all of our guests. I love this question because I love to hear what uh, what people have to say about it. What does being a member of the church mean to you, Sean Perry? You're going to make me cry. Stop it. Um, being a member of the church, um, to me, is to take the truths that have been given me and to take the mission and the the power of God that has been bestowed upon me and to use that to lift humanity. It is my God-given responsibility to go out and lift as many of his children as I possibly can, being magnified through him and by him because I cannot do any of it on my own. Absolutely beautiful. Sean, you are a great artist and you're making the world a better place. And thank you for sharing your Latter-day life with us. Thank you, Sean. My special thanks to Sean Perry for making time when he was in Utah. I hope you're as inspired as I was. It's wonderful to meet uh, saints like Sean. And one of the things I love about Sean is he's just not maybe how you picture a typical Mormon. He's got the most beautiful long hair. And one of the things we didn't discuss on the show, because again, our time was short, he actually models for a website, and we'll share a link Uh, There's a group that does posters and pictures of Christ, and he is actually the model for them, for Christ. And it's fitting because not only does he look the part, but he is a Christ-like man. I'm telling you, his spirit is just fantastic. Uh, Also, we talked briefly before the interview about his experience with 9-11 and actually being there when it all happened and, and helping with those efforts. We may have to have Sean back on the show. I just, again... Thank you, Sean, for sharing your life with us. We appreciate it. This week in my Latter-day life, uh, I'm actually recording this from a hotel room in Florida as we are getting ready to go on a cruise for a week with our family. And uh, on Friday night, uh, we flew into uh, Florida to get ready to go on this trip. And I was a little bit bummed that we were traveling Friday night because Friday was the B1 celebration, the celebration of the 40th anniversary of our black brothers and sisters getting the priesthood and full temple benefits. And I was so disappointed because I wanted to go in person to the conference center and sit and be a part of the celebration. And while I was on the plane, you know, we, we were flying while it was going on. And while I was on the plane, I realized it was over and we had streaming on the plane, I wondered if I could pull it up on YouTube. And so I did. I searched for it. It had already been posted to the Mormon channel. We were actually on an overnight flight, and uh, I was watching it on the plane. And in the opening prayer for it, uh, a young lady from Utah was giving the opening prayer, and she said, bless us that we all might look inward. And for some reason, that really stood out to me, those words, that we might all look or or inside of ourselves, something to that effect, that we might look inside ourselves. And my knee-jerk reaction was thinking about race 
and thinking about uh, our our brothers and sisters of African descent getting the priesthood, my initial response was, well, I, I don't need to look inside myself. You know, I don't have any racial issues. And one of the things about this show that I've been most grateful for is we have had some just incredible uh, African-American brothers and sisters. Uh, we've had Stephen Jones on. We've had Anne-Marie Otanez, Abe Mills. It's just been phenomenal. Bree Ray. We've had great African-American brothers and sisters on. And I thought, you know, I don't, I don't have anything to think about with race. And then I was watching. And if you have not watched the B1 celebration, please go to the Mormon channel and watch it. And it is the most inspiring, beautiful, wonderful presentation. And you've got uh, Gladys Knight and the B1 choir. I'm, I'm not sure that's exactly what they're called, something like that. But Gladys Knight leads this choir, and it's the most incredible music. And uh, let's see, uh, President Oaks gives a talk, and, and President Eyring conducts, and there are just amazing performances, other performers. It's incredibly inspiring. And afterward, I was left thinking, you know, I should look inside. Is there is there any issue that I have? And all of a sudden, it kind of dawned on me, and I, I'd had this thought once before, uh, but, uh, you know, when there is some type of shooting, when we hear about, unfortunately, all too common school shootings, or a shooting in a home in a suburban neighborhood, or or something like that, it's always shocking to me. And I'll usually take the time to read about how did it happen, and who ended up getting shot, and what, you know, what were the, the circumstances of it. And it's, it's scary to me and, and sad. And then I hear about shootings in the inner city, and all too often, it's black kids. And, and sadly, black kids shooting black kids in the inner city. And I don't think I've ever taken the time when I've heard about one of these instances to read the, 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 the child's name or to hear about their family or their circumstances. And unfortunately, I think maybe it's just so common. Maybe I just shrug and maybe I kind of blow it off and go, well, that's what happens in the inner city. And I had the thought that I don't think Heavenly Father thinks that way. I don't think that he has ever just said, Oh, well, that somehow a life in the inner city or kids who are involved in gangs where it's too easy to say, well, they brought it on themselves. I don't think that Heavenly Father has ever written them off or just thought, well, that's what life in a gang is or life in an inner city is. And so I realized that's something that I need to change. This all became very personal when I really thought and I really looked at myself and I thought about my niece. My niece, Lola, who I just love with all my heart, who is here on the trip with us, um, her father is black. And so she, as uh, an African-American young lady, who is just the most wonderful young lady, what if something happened to her? Would I want someone to write her off or to think that she's just a statistic? Now, she doesn't live in an inner city. She's not involved in those kinds of things. Uh, but her life is worth so much to me. And every life is worth so much to Heavenly Father, and every life should be worth as much to me. And I have recommitted to change my thinking, and I would challenge each one of us, as that wonderful, beautiful young lady said in her prayer, for us to look inside ourselves and to make sure that we have pure hearts, because every one of Heavenly Father's children 
Their lives are so, so very important. And again, if you get a chance, please go watch the B1 celebration. It is just a wonderful, wonderful experience. And that is what is happening this week in my Latter-day Life. Thank you so much for tuning in, and thank you again to Sean Perry for being on. And uh, again, if you want to reach out to us, I can be reached at Sean, S-H-A-W-N, at latterdaylives.com. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram. We'd love to have you follow us. We try to put up as much content as we can. And again, please send those messages. If you've got questions about the show, we want to share those uh, on our one-year anniversary show. So until next week, when we have another fantastic guest for you, remember, there is a great, big, beautiful world out there. So go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening. <laughs>